Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, sweet friends. Welcome to today's episode on reclaiming creativity and storytelling magic with Mary Lanham. Mary uses she, her pronouns, and she's the editor, writer, and tarot reader behind Bibliomancer Editing. As an editor, she works with speculative fiction and spiritual nonfiction writers, helping them develop and share their most transformational stories, and she also helps creatives rediscover their vision with tarot readings that inspire the storytelling process. So in this episode, we talk about Mary's journey with writing and magic, about reclaiming creativity, disengaging from limiting creative and spiritual mythos with tarot, growing up Catholic and deconstructing Catholicism, tarot as a support for creativity and as a support for her for transitioning out of Catholicism, finding the story in a tarot card or a tarot spread, developing somatic awareness, the magician and the wheel of fortune, taking ownership of our big and deep stories, stories as an alchemical experience, telling the truth in our stories, the vulnerability of sharing stories, Mary's writing process, keeping a creative practice going, process as enough, and cultivating connection to intuition. So this episode is really about creativity and storytelling and tarot as a support for those things, and it's about vulnerability and all the magic that we have inside ourselves. Mary has such wisdom to share, and I really loved this conversation. Um, There was an issue a little bit (laughs) with the quality on her end, on her, like, track you don't need to know probably or care about the podcast specifics but it records on different tracks there's a little bit of an issue with her track um so the quality is not as good as it usually is and as i usually like it to be so i did my best sorry about that it's definitely worth it to listen um so please stick around for the interview anyways um editing this episode and listening back also made me really reflect on my journey with writing the ebbs and the flows of my relationship with it and how it's been such a constant support throughout my life how sharing stories and being vulnerable in a wide variety of different contexts has actually been the most healing thing in my life and the tools that I use like tarot and breath work and energy work and all those things they actually just support me in (laughs) that ability to be more vulnerable to open to connect um to share and to speak my truth more and it's interesting as I'm in this like really cracked open place in my life how I'm more comfortable than ever being vulnerable in the moment in the cracked openness in the messiness in the processing and not just in the sharing of what I've already processed which I think are two very different things um, with the people in my life than ever before and at the same time I'm also feeling this pulling back of wanting to share less vulnerable stuff in a public way (laughs) on this podcast on Instagram and I don't know why that really is (laughs) and maybe it's just because everything is still 
so raw and I feel so in it right now and I don't share things almost ever in these more public whatever contexts that are raw. I share things that are already processed but it's really interesting to hold and to think about when so much of my work is sharing vulnerably such a big part of this podcast of the work that I do is about sharing so that's what I'm thinking about and to get us into this episode I wanted to share a little excerpt from on vulnerability from welcoming the unwelcome by Pema Children so if you can't tell <laughs> I've been reading a lot of Pema the past couple of months and yeah I read this this morning in my practice and it just felt really resonant to what Mary shares in our conversation around storytelling and sharing so um this is from welcoming the unwelcome the ego wants resolution, wants to control impermanence, wants something secure and certain to hold on to. It freezes what is actually fluid. It grasps at what is in motion. It tries to escape the beautiful truth of the fully alive nature of everything. As a result, we feel dissatisfied, haunted, threatened. We spend much of our time in a cage created by our own fear of discomfort. The alternative to this struggle is to train in holding the rawness of vulnerability in our heart. Every time we practice holding the rawness of vulnerability in our heart, we gain a little insight into how things really are. We experience directly how nothing ever stays the same, even for a moment. And skipping ahead a bit, when we're able to hold the rawness of vulnerability in our hearts, we can use that energy to create poetry, writing, dance, music, song, we can make of it something that touches and communicates with other people. Artists have done this from the beginning of time. So with that, let's get into this episode, into my conversation with Mary. You can check out some links for things that we mention, for my religious trauma workbook, for a free meditation for ex-religious folks, all of those things in the description. And here's my conversation with Mary. I always love to start the show by hearing about your journey to getting to where you are. So yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey with writing and with magic. Um, yeah, my, I was trying to come up with a way to answer this question without doing the standard, like, I've always been a writer, like, since I was a little child, but I think for so many of us, like, that really is kind of true. It takes a lot of trial and error, I think, to actually continue to cultivate that pretty much immediately, because we're trained so much to let go of that part of ourselves. Um, but yeah, I have always kind of had this, this weird sort of between like having that natural affinity to creativity and to spiritual practice but like not really knowing how to make it a functional part of my life <laughs> if that makes sense yeah um yeah so I was always very just completely entranced with like and stories um, I remember being a kid and I would like make little things books and carry them around and like pretend that I was telling myself stories out of them <laughs> um, and I think that's again like that's such a common thread for a lot of creatives that we have that natural affinity and it's just a question of how do we actually bring that like through the course of our adult lives and continue to cultivate it um, so I think you know I remember that narrative of like 
you you can't be the only way to be a writer is if you're going to become a best-selling author you're like going to journalism or these very um sort of prescriptive paths for actually being a creative so yeah again it's for me it's been really about like reclaiming my creativity from that very prescriptive sort of like you know capitalist narrative (laughs) and I think with magic on the um on the spiritual side it was it was pretty similar um I was raised Catholic and I was a practicing Catholic up until like my early 20s um but again there's like that disconnect between um having that spiritual affinity and even being raised in a religion but then like knowing how to apply that to your real life apply that to the way you live um I I grew up in a very affluent community and I remember always feeling this big disconnect between like the things that we profess at church and mass and like the way people in my parish actually live their lives. (laughs) Um, So I do think my journey for me personally has really finding ways to disengage from that, that limiting mythos that we grow up with. Yeah. So for me, learning tarot was a really huge part of that. I think because it's a practice that I can come back to and apply, like no matter what state I'm in, in terms of my spiritual beliefs or like what creative projects I'm working on, it's just such a, just like amazing, flexible and deep spiritual tool. So being able to access that is a huge part of my journey. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I definitely want to talk more about tarot, but curious first (laughs) about, so you said you grew up in Catholicism. Did you, go through some sort of like deconstruction process with yourself or do you still kind of like dabble with Catholicism or like find a mix of things that work for you? Uh, What's, what's that like? (laughs) Yeah, it's been, I'm actually just sort of starting to get a little bit more like actively at peace with Catholicism, I guess. Um, I, I did like, I, I chose to be confirmed when I was, I think I was 15. So it was definitely like, an active practice for me that I actively committed to again, like up until I was 22, maybe when I like officially had this moment where I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Like I was literally in Easter mass and like started crying and had to walk out of the church. Like it was this very like stereotypical dramatic moment. Um, but yeah, I think it wasn't so much uh, having to deconstruct like, dogma of the church because I was always honestly a bit detached from that like I always had a bit of that sort of um not like strictly the perennialist philosophy because I know that that has some problematic elements but that idea of like religions are lenses that we are brought up in and that we choose to look at the world through so for me it wasn't hugely traumatic to like to move away from that but there was then sort of this big empty space of how do I salvage the parts of this culture and this, you know, this thing that's been so ingrained in my experience, how do I salvage that in a way that actually works for me as like a queer person? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think tarot really helped with that. I, I did start learning tarot um, when, I was still, when I was a teenager and I was still like practicing Catholic. So it sort of helped with that transition out of that culture. Ooh, can you talk more about that, about how it helps? Um, yeah, I think I always try to remember when I first, like, learned about tarot, and I honestly can't. I think it might have been through, like, 
either a book or a TV show or something. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It may even have been like, I know there's like an episode of my so-called life that had like Jack in it. So that, that literally could have been it. <laughs> but yeah, I like literally taught myself to read at night in my closet. Like I would get up and go into my bedroom closet with my tarot deck and my little like basic tarot book. <laughs> and I taught myself to read cards. Um, and I think having that thing that was like, that was just mine. Like, I'm sure that my parents knew I was up to something because I was not actually that sneaky child. <laughs> but it was something that felt so personal to me um, because I went through that process of playing the cards. Um, but then when I was a little bit older and I was trying to think about like, how do I, how do I have a practice? How do I do this spirituality thing on my own outside of the church? It was like, I already have this tool that again was like completely flexible. Like tarot doesn't ask you to believe any set thing or to use it in any one particular way. So it, it's just like a language that, that my spiritual brain can kind of tap into. It's just so valuable. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other spiritual practices or tools that you work with a lot besides tarot? So the answer is kind of like yes and no. <laughs> like one thing that has been pretty consistent, I do usually keep an altar of some sort, but I have always kind of struggled with like, do I really identify with witchcraft or like with paganism or kind of, am I more just like, you know, sort of like a philosophical pantheist or like, what is it that I really believe? <laughs> what do I believe? Um, so I think for me, the practices are less about like doing certain types of t- certain types of um, like spell work or craft, and it's more about philosophical perspective and process of like engaging with different spiritual tools and like learning from those different experiences that you can have with them. Um, yeah, so I don't really have a set like type of craft that I follow, I guess, or like a type of practice. Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing. I'm just always curious about what people's personal practices are like and how they, you know, sort of inform their life, how they work with different <laughs> things. Because, I mean, there's so many ways to have a spiritual practice or I don't even really think of my practice anymore as like spiritual, but it's just kind of like a healing practice or like a connective practice with self um the idea of spirituality spirituality is resonating a bit less right now yeah (laughs) but it's just so cool because people work with these things in all kinds of different ways Mm -hmm. and with that I would love to hear about how tarot and creativity weave together for you like what's the connection how does tarot support your creativity how do you bring your creativity to your tarot practice Yeah, Um, this question is a little bit hard for me to answer because to me, the two practices just feel so naturally entwined. Um, And I think for for me, they they really come out of the same part of my brain. Like, I think it would be super interesting to put um, tarot readers or like other people with that kind of uh, like spiritual practice in like a brain scan and like see which parts (laughs) of our brains are lighting up. Um, yeah. For me, I think like writing and tarot, I would not be at all surprised if it's like exactly the same parts of my brain <laughs> that are working. Um, so I think that for me, tarot is just so good at accessing that sort of like 
mental threshold. So to me, it feels very much like the point that I'm accessing tarot is the same space where creativity comes from. Um, so I do think the creativity is very much how our human minds kind of process um, sort of just the, the interplay and the reality of being a single consciousness that's isolated, but then is embedded in this larger web of just life and experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me, I think that that's essentially where creativity and at least for me, the, the, like spiritual urge comes from. Um, so to me, practices like tarot feel really naturally connected to my creative process. Um, so it, it, yeah, again, like it was very self-explanatory. But on the other hand, <laughs> when I was thinking about whether I wanted to incorporate tarot into my work as an editor, like when I started thinking about that, it was definitely clear to me that those two modalities are not going to be obviously connected to a lot. So that did sort of force me to examine like, where that interplay of tarot and writing really is for me. And like, if I wanted to actually together in terms of my job and my education. Um, but I actually think that being a tarot reader and editor are like pretty similar activities. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like editing definitely has this image of being like the editor is the person sitting at her computer and tearing all of the creativity out of the work and making it like correct and packaging it for the publisher. And there's, I think, a tradition of like editors sort of squelching creativity instead of nurturing them in sort of like, you know, pop culture and like the way people perceive the profession. Um, But I actually think that my job is much more about um, like even if the mechanics of what I'm doing are like checking someone's grammar or like finding plot holes in a novel, like that's the mechanics. But my job, I think, is much more about holding a mirror up to the story so that the writer can see it. And I also think that that's basically what tarot cards do for us, right? They they hold a mirror to our experience and our stories, and then they help us play with the cards and. Revision them and rework them, which is again like I think that's basically what you're doing when you're revising a novel is you're yeah. you're playing with that story and um, sort of seeing what else can come out of it. Yeah, how do you find the story in a tarot card or in a spread that you're doing? Uh, I really I love this question because I think if you asked. 10 different tarot readers, you can get 10 different answers and they all be like equally useful and equally interesting. (laughs) But for me, I think the the key to accessing an intuitive story in the card is for me to engage with it as it's a scene. So like I'm basically uh, having a somatic response to the imagery. Um, And I think one of the one of the easiest and like most foundational ways that I've found to do that is to do um, what I call a sensory scan of the card. Um, And sensory scans are something that I'm sure a lot of listeners are gonna be familiar with from therapy. Uh, It's a tool that you can use um, for for people who struggle with anxiety. So that was actually like how I was first introduced to it. Um, But I discovered that if I use them when I'm looking at a tarot card, I'm kind of like, immerse myself mentally with the imagery of the card and then through a scan of just like noticing like 
what am I what am I taking in with each of my senses if I were in this scene or if I were interacting with this imagery? And then sort of moving from, from what comes out of that physical somatic response. Like for me, that's always a like, hugely enlightening and intuitive part. Um, and I think it's also, it's really useful for both, um, like if you're looking at an unfamiliar card or even if you're looking at one you've seen a million times before, is <laughs> when you get in touch with your, your physical reaction to the card, then it's like, it's automatically being informed by like where you're at in that moment, physically and mentally. And it really helps you into yeah, your more intuitive response instead of a like practiced like reversed response, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What has that been like for you in terms of connecting with your body and body sensations and like that somatic awareness? Is that something you've had to like work to develop? What's what's up? <laughs> Yeah, I definitely struggle from being very much in my head a lot. And not, it's not so much that I am completely disconnected from my body, I think, because I do, like, I have, you know, like, different athletic stuff that I've done. I used to be a dancer, and I'm kind of, like, getting back into that now during lockdown, which is cool. <laughs> but I do sort of, it's like the two parts of my experience are often separate from each other so it's like I can tap into what my body is doing and what's happening in my body or I can tap into like the things in my brain and it's hard for me to do both of those things together um so I do think like if I'm having a period where I'm feeling pretty like stagnant with this it's usually because I've gotten too far into like I pull out the card and I know what it means from like every every single reading before but I'm not really like engaging with what does it mean to read right now <laughs> so for me trying to doing my best to pull in that uh, to make it more of a physical experience and less of a mental like analytical one that's that's really powerful kind of breaking that that cycle and finding a new meaning <laughs> yeah yeah that's the work <laughs> <laughs> are there any cards that feel really special to you or just cards that you feel deeply connected to right now or just in general? Yeah, I think I think in general for my kind of all-time most connected favorite cards, it's probably the magician and the wheel. Mm. Um, those are two, like, I know a lot of tarot readers have uh, deal breaker cards or, like, if they're considering buying a deck and they don't like that card, then they just, like, I can't read it. <laughs> um, which I've actually, like, cultivated that in myself so that I don't spend a lot of time on tarot decks. <laughs> um, but, yeah, for me, I don't like the magician. I guess, actually, the death card also is a deal breaker card. I have a lot. Let's just say I have a lot. Okay, so quick interruption. What's your favorite magician card ever? What deck? Oh man, I've literally never thought about that. Oh, that's such a cool question. Um, <laughs> I can say mine because I have it in my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the Modern Witch Tarot. I just think that magician card is so gorgeous. And yeah, that is a really good conversion. I don't have that deck yet, but I've seen the card. Um, yeah, I. 
I don't know. I would have to, I think, actually, like, look at the physical ones that I own and sort of see which one. Because my instinct is, like, this isn't, like, the sexy answer, but I think maybe this would, wait, would be Smith Wait. Did I say that right? Smith Wait. <laughs> <laughs> that one would probably be functionally my favorite just because, like, I've been reading with that deck, like, literally the same copy of that deck since I was, again, 12 and 15. So it's just, mm-hmm. like, when I think of the position, that's what to my to my brain um but i do also really like the mary l version magician okay so that might be a good like that's like the cooler answer i guess but i'm gonna google it after (laughs) i think the reason that i love the modern witch tarot magician card is because it's so smith rider (laughs) way modern obviously from the deck name version of it because i really like that imagery too (laughs) Okay, sorry for the interruption. <laughs> Carry on. Would love to hear more about the magician and the wheel for you. Oh, um, yeah, I think. Uh, man, why are they my favorites? Um, one of the things, the like the personal themes that comes up for me a lot with tarot is about that balance of like taking personal ownership of your existence and like the decisions that you're making, but then also always knowing that, again, like you're an individual embedded in a larger web and larger wheel and it's gonna it's gonna turn with or without you. And sort of how do you navigate two extremes? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those two cards really sum up that, that sort of like finding the balance between that dichotomy it's not really a dichotomy like it's all all of these things are always happening at once what are what our current like best direction and I guess best purpose is if that phrase makes sense (laughs) yeah no it is the wheel is one of those cards that tends to frustrate me a bit (laughs) so when I get it sometimes I'm just like uh okay fine Um, yeah, I think it's always interesting hearing what different readers get frustrated by because I I get frustrated when I pull the sun, which is like hmm. so many people love the sun and it's supposed to be sun. yeah like it's, it's, it's there's not a whole lot to really rationally dislike about the sun so I don't know why it bugs me. Yeah, some cards are just like that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to go back to what you were sharing about storytelling and talk a bit more of that. Um, maybe you could speak to why storytelling matters to you, why it feels important. And something you shared also before we recorded this interview is around taking ownership of our big and deep stories. And yeah, I'd love to hear anything you have to share about that. Yeah, I think... Um... This is going to sound maybe a little like negative or, or kind of a dark take coming from somebody who really believes in storytelling, but I promise it's not as dark as it's going to sound at first. <laughs> but yeah, I actually but... think, <laughs> yeah. um, I think that for me, the really deep magic and power in storytelling is because stories are inherently manipulative. Um, like they're both an act of, manipulating the raw material of our of our lives and our experiences but then stories also always are going to manipulate us when we take them in um i think that power is it's it's a huge power but it's also essentially neutral like uh, 
certain kinds of manipulation can either heal or harm, kind of depending on like what the story is and how you're impacted by it. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, the the reason I am so just again entranced with stories and really believe in their power is that I think if we don't acknowledge that that manipulative power, then we are going to kind of be owned by our stories and by the stories of other people in ways that we don't really realize. Um, but then on the other hand, like if we do do the work of looking at those stories and thinking about what we take in and then what we also create, like that is so empowering and enlightening. <laughs> so for me, that's sort of, that's like how you turn the manipulation into like an, an alchemical experience. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. I th- That makes me think about this quote. Maybe you know it better than I do. I'm like totally going to mess it up. But I think <laughs> it is like um, about not letting the facts get in the way of the truth in writing. And I think writing poetry specifically, which I think is so interesting and feels so lovely and kind of points to how the truth can be like how you felt or how something made you feel or the truth can be in like sensate like doesn't have to be exactly about what happened but you can write about the truth of it and also about how telling our stories is always from our own perspective right um, yeah. yeah like I don't think I ever tell an objective story about my life <laughs> I'm always seeing it from <laughs> this lens with my own filter put over it which is fine I think that's just like part of telling stories um but yeah it's it's really yeah like sometimes the the truth depending on the context and like what purpose of the story is sometimes the truth is more important than the facts but I think also if we don't have that kind of literacy around the power of stories that's when you get into the opposite effect where people are insistent that like their subjective truth is more important than fact in like a context where that's really not appropriate. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think it's so important for, yeah, I mean, stories are just so powerful in so many different ways and being, having that sort of, um, that literacy with yourself and it kind of makes you like, it makes it easier for you to own your own truths, but it also makes you a little bit shit proof when other people are trying to you in a way that's not (laughs) so I think both of those sides of it are super yeah totally um and when it comes to sharing stories what is that like for you I think sharing stories can be so inherently maybe vulnerable Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and we're sharing them as part of like creative work too I think that can even add another layer because it's like this is our expression like that's so so, yeah what is that like for you how do you work through that I have a bit of a I have a bit of an up and down when it comes to sharing my own writing um so on the one hand, I have pursued publication in the past. This was maybe like, uh, I think this was 10 years ago at this point. I just did not quite realize it was that long. <laughs> but I haven't really, like I've continued to write fiction and I work on novels, but I haven't actually tried to have anything published in a long time, um, which is a little strange for someone who's an editor and like wants to help other people do that if that's their goal. Um, but yeah, I have... I think for me, my 
my writing and my creativity is so kind of wrapped up in my history of things related to mental health that it's sometimes difficult for me to, to like walk that line between, you know, how do I create something that I want to put out into the world, but then actually feel okay doing so, <laughs> which is just so, it's such a tough thing for all creatives, I think. Um, and for me, that's definitely still a work in progress. So I would actually love to hear like some of your thoughts about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's so real. A lot of, <laughs> this is just kind of like my style anyways, but a lot of the things that I like share and put out there is just like, okay, I'm just going to do it and see how it feels and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then the like following up of the doing the thing, like teaches me so much <laughs> about what I need to know. All the feelings and thoughts and doubts that come up in the process of sharing, those are like, oh, that's such good information for me to like unpack and play with a little bit. And also I've felt really held in space where it's like a small and loving container to share work that's really helped me build confidence really and build like belief in myself and in my writing and my work to be able to share it in more vulnerable ways (laughs) (laughs) how they're gonna feel or how they're gonna respond or whatever um and so that has felt really supportive to like being in community basically with other creatives and being able to share work in those spaces. So helpful. Mm-hmm. And also to know that like everyone feels this way, like so many people feel this way. It's so human and it's so okay. And there's nothing wrong with it. I like to tell myself that a lot. Like it's so human. It's okay. There's no problem. Like you're allowed to be scared. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, I just want to work with that a bit because I want to be able to share work anyways. Right. And yeah, I think everyone's different, but that's what I think of for me. Yeah. I think the community piece is really, is really huge for so many people. (laughs) It's so huge. Yeah. I mean, we need it to feel less alone. And especially I think when we're doing creative stuff, it's, maybe we don't feel as much support from people who are kind of outside of those communities or from our society at large or our families or whatever, whoever it is. So it can be just really nice to like be in community and space with people who have a shared value around creativity and art. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would love to hear if you want to share a little bit about like your writing process um, and like literally how you like hold structure and space for your creativity I think this is just something I feel like I want to know from everyone who makes stuff it's like okay so what does that Mm -hmm. look like for you like how does it flow (laughs) for you how do you work through the ebbs like what is that like so yeah what is that like for you yeah my personal practices and my creative process go and this is true both for um spiritual work and spiritual practice and creative practice for me Um, but I go through a lot of cycles that are um, like I mentioned earlier, kind of tied into my mental health process. Um, so I'm absolutely not one of those writers that is like always writing every day or the tarot reader is going like, to fill up a journal page every day doing you know, a daily journal practice. <laughs> I'm basically just terrible at maintaining that kind of 
really consistent and ambitious habit when it comes to my own work, which is, it's such a, it's actually kind of a source of embarrassment for me <laughs> sometimes because not in a bad way, but more just, you know, cause so much of the standard advice that, um, both that like writing coaches and editors and interrogators will give to people is like have a daily practice. And for me, it's just, it's legitimately great advice, but it doesn't work for me. <laughs> um, so I think for me, um, one of the things that I have struggled with in the past when I was trying to have that like daily writing practice is that I would sit down and settle in for my session and I would literally like have a little panic attack because it was really, it was so difficult for me to have even like the smallest creative idea about my draft without immediately like the anxiety brain turns on and I'm imagining like here's all of the work that's going to have to, like this is all the, the number of drafts and revisions that you have to go through before the novel is finished and then here's what you have to do to publish it and like imagining all of that like future stuff instead of just thinking about the page and the draft in front of me. So I've had to do a lot of work really learning to like turn off that, um, honestly, just that panic response, that anxiety response. So I think for me, what has helped the most consistently is um, really just breaking down my practices or my projects into the smallest possible action that, that I can actually commit to. And I mean, like, literally the smallest thing like if I'm wanting to like spend more time with my tarot deck my goal will literally just be to pick up my tarot deck and sit with it for a certain like number of minutes because <laughs> if I pick it up and I'm holding it in my hands then like I'll probably pull a card and then maybe if I do that I might journal or do a bigger spread but it's like for me, the important thing is just having that one really small action that's kind of just an expression of like either my creative desire to sit down and write or my spiritual desire to, you know, have, have that time for myself. So it's like the smallest thing that I can do that is an expression of that. Like that's what helps keep any sort of practice going for me. Yeah, that's so helpful. I so appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> sometimes it is intimidating. It's like, I need to sit down and write for two hours or mm -hmm. I need to like do this spread every day or whatever. But um, it doesn't have to be, <laughs> be that. We can work with the small stuff. And something I really like to think about too is... Um, is letting doing the thing itself be the purpose. Like, mm -hmm. be the <laughs> like not that I'm like writing every day so that I can publish a collection, which is the goal that I'm working towards, but letting the writing itself be the reason why I do it. Like writing being its own, yeah, creative reward. Mm -hmm. And that helps me a lot because it feels really good and it feels really gentle and it feels like it's okay. Just being here and writing is enough which feels supportive. Yeah, yeah. I got some advice um, recently to, to focus much more on the idea of process and like any sort of action that is process is, is enough. And that's, that thought has been really helpful to me lately. <laughs> that's the best advice. I love it. I agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I just like need to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a little bit about this when you 
um, we're sharing about kind of sensing into what's happening in your body and everything when you're pulling cards. And I guess I'm curious if there's anything you want to share about cultivating connection to your intuition. Ooh, yeah, I had some thoughts about this. Bring them back to my brain. Bring them forward. <laughs> Bring them forward. Yeah, I think um, the most powerful thing for me for specifically cultivating my intuition has been uh, putting spaces of silence into both just my day-to-day life and I think kind of just my bigger um, like spiritual and philosophical way of looking at my life. <laughs> and there's a there's a common concept in modern witchcraft called the witch's pyramid, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Um, it's basically like a set of philosophical pillars for doing um, spiritual or intuitive work. And it's usually phrased as uh, to know, to will, to dare, and to keep silence. And I am definitely like not a Wiccan or a ceremonial magician in any way. So um, not to like claim that lineage for myself, but um, those pillars have really spoken to me a lot when I think about um, cultivating cultivating intuition in my daily life. Um, and I think for me, I especially like the maximum silence, um, both in terms of actually just creating space for your inner voice to speak to you, uh, but then also as a reminder that like our thoughts and our intuitions don't always have to be hot takes. <laughs> it doesn't have to be something that is like super clear and that we want to share with other people and that expressed in this very succinct and like down way. Like sometimes our intuitions are going to be really non-rational. They're going to be difficult to express. They're going to need time to evolve. Um, and also just that we don't have to share, we don't have to share insights with others if we don't want to. That's not like what you were talking about with like the writing being its own activity. Like sometimes the intuition just is what it is. It doesn't have to like be some sort of um, like really clear, succinct message that you're like downloading. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be sexy. Right. <laughs> but for me, like that's usually not, that's usually not what it is. It's usually much more like I'm going to, you know, like go outside and just sit silently for 10 minutes and just like look at what's around me and try to connect with some sort of living thing that's not human. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things to do when I'm feeling um, yeah, disconnected from that part of my, of my mind and my psyche. Like even if it's just literally in the winter, like sitting by my window and just looking out the window or like sitting with and just being silent (laughs) thank you so much for sharing that that's so good I feel like sometimes it's like we want there to be this like 20 step ritual to like like we want to make it really complicated and then it's like oh it's definitely working because I'm like doing a hundred things to like make this but I feel like that's so true um creating space to do nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> or just to be with nature or just to be in silence. Like you're saying that feeds my creativity in huge ways. It feeds my connection to my intuition, like looking at the sunset, which I try and do almost every day is like, that's creative process for me or creative mm-hmm. practice for me. That's like connecting me with myself. So I can hear my own voice more. And it's just like, 
It's so simple. It's like looking at the sunset, just like looking at the sky. How simple is that? And it's free. Um, so yeah, I really love that. Yeah. And I think when we do that, even if we don't, even if we don't get any sort of like specific message or feeling at all, like sometimes just like, yeah, the silence is the intuition itself. Always have to be able to like come inside and write down something in the journal as you did that. Um, sometimes it's just, yeah, it's just the process and the practice itself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also like exercising that muscle of being able to be with yourself. Yeah. Like, practice to be with yourself and to be with what's here and yeah to cultivate more presence which I think feeds everything that we've been talking about and I mean for me throughout all of COVID it really just feels like back to basics with everything and that's like one of those basics it's like yeah really supportive thank you for that I want to ask you the last question that I always ask on this show, which is what does living open mean to you? Yeah, and I knew for sure this one was coming, so. (laughs) (laughs) No surprise. (laughs) Uh, To me, the idea of living open really feels linked to the creative and the intellectual practice of agnosticism for me, which um, I think the, the concept of being agnostic, especially in American culture, has a kind of bad connotation of like, it's a form of like intellectual or spiritual cowardice. Like you don't want to take a stance or, you know, you want to believe a bunch of different things and not have any sort of like rigor to your thought, <laughs> which is something that, that I've actually been told both from like very religious people or from people who are like very hardcore atheists. Um, but for me, I think the, you know, when you look at the real meaning of the word or the concept itself, it's much more about having intellectual honesty about the limits of your own knowledge and then the limits of different systems of knowledge. So um, for me, I think approaching the world through that, that agnostic lens, really, it helps keep me kind of in a state of like openness and curiosity and also just a, a state of flexibility, like of, of being able to shift between kind of different kinds of knowledge and different like standards of experience and evidence kind of depending on the context, which I find to be like powerful. <laughs> um, I, I have a lot of professional scientists in my life, um, like people who are literally like research chemists or who do computer science. Um, and I've had a couple of those friends actually be really happy with me about saying like, okay, I really don't understand tarot and spirituality, but I want to hear why it makes sense to you. Like, why, why do you do these practices? <laughs> and I've noticed that when I explain it as basically, again, being that like a form of creative curiosity and just being uh, able to explore different kinds of experience. Um, then people can see why it has value for me. Um, So I think like that is ultimately really, that's the gift that living open can give to us um, that we're able to engage with like the full range of our human experience and our human knowledge and um, take in 
basically everything that's available to us. So that's, that's what it means to me. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you online, all those good things? Yeah, I am for social media. I am currently most active on Instagram, but to be honest, I might be kind of shifting up my social media presence, but that will definitely be a place that people can find me um, for sure. And I am at, I'm trying to remember where my underscore is. It's bibliomancer underscore editing. Oh my God, I love that you don't even know. <laughs> I always forget if it's like, a, is it a period? Is it an underscore? I had better look because I have definitely said it wrong before. I'll link to it. I'll link to it. <laughs> Um, and I'm also online at bibliomancerediting.com, and that is both where my editing services live and where my tarot services live. So those are my online homes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for sharing and for being here. Yeah, thank you. This was a really cool conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.